Hello, everyone. After a slight summer break, I'm back and ready to share more stories of human connection with you. The last few months have been chaotic, and I'm not just talking about in my own personal life. Between the surging COVID-19 pandemic, thousands unemployed, daily protests for the Black Lives Matter movement, wildfires consuming much of the West Coast, there is one thing that has remained a constant, uncertainty. I know, the word has been used and overused since April of this year, yet I can't help but feel like it's been dosed into my daily life. I can venture to guess that many of you probably feel the same way. That being said, there's one issue of uncertainty that I'm going to focus on in this episode, as it draws parallels between lives in prison and lives out of prison. Many Americans continue to struggle with unemployment since the societal shutdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen businesses that were once strongholds in our community disappear, livelihoods destroyed, and people suddenly unemployed with barely a moment's notice. Even as communities have started to open up in the last few months, things still aren't operating as they did pre-pandemic. A lot of companies that remain are operating with smaller teams, still leaving a large portion of the population jobless. It's hard out there. Now, imagine you're just being released from prison. You don't have a strong support system of family or friends to help you out. So you're alone. You need housing, but first you need a job to pay for that housing. But you have a felony, which is going to prevent you from getting work at a lot of places, if they're even hiring right now. What do you do then? What can you do when your life is now centered around uncertainty? How do you re-enter into society feeling productive and purposeful? I've had the pleasure of keeping in touch with Shane from the last two episodes over the last several months. He's been a wealth of knowledge to me when we discuss issues like life after prison and high prison recidivism rates in the United States. At Sing Sing Prison, Shane has worked for a program that helps prepare inmates for re-entry into society. He's been doing this job for the last four years, all the while serving 25 years of his life in prison and having 25 more to go. As mentioned in the previous episode, Shane was given an opportunity to speak at the TEDx event, which took place in Sing Sing Prison in early February. With his permission and the help of TEDx Sing Sing co-organizer, Sean Gallagher, I was able to receive the audio of Shane's TEDx talk. I'm thrilled to share it with you all here. I'm Christina Hansen, and this is Penned. Where do you see yourself in five years? This interview question determines if a prospective employee's future is a good fit for the company. But what about the incarcerated person's future after prison? Is that a good fit not for the company, but for the community to which they are returning? According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, from 2005 to 2014, Five out of six people released from a state prison were rearrested within nine years. That is extreme recidivism. 
And part of it's because myself and 2.3 million other incarcerated people are so focused on surviving the routine trauma of prison, we forget 95% of us should be focused on preparing for reentry. My name is Michael Shane Hell, and I'm talking about the power of relationships to redefine the reentry experience. I've been in prison for 25 years, a majority of my life. And with 25 more years to serve, you might be surprised to know that I love my job of helping people get ready to go home. These clients, men and sometimes trans women, have spent years behind bars and are being released within weeks. And they always ask, Shane, why do you work for people who are always leaving and you aren't? My reason is selfish. I owe their families and communities to be a part of the solution. 25 years ago, I took a man's life. And then like a coward, I tried to cover it up. Being fully accountable means I wake up each day knowing I can't change the past. But that sorrow doesn't stop me from doing the right thing, doing atonement. Sharing this model is an opportunity for myself and the clients to connect our vulnerabilities around reentry. And we discover an intersectionality of fears. Mine, dying in prison. Theirs, returning to prison. With over four years of experience as a facilitator, most clients do not have a reentry plan. Only a handful do. And in the beginning, this pissed me off. Most of these people are squandering their second chance. But listening to clients, I gained an insight into the power of relationships to redefine the reentry experience. So relationships put together to survive prison define those people as part of the problem, who don't focus on reentry readiness and are seen as future recidivists. But relationships constructed to thrive in prison redefine those people as part of the solution focused on reentry readiness, and transformed themselves into future community members. I was lucky. My first prison relationship forced me to think about would I survive or would I thrive in prison? As a first-time violent felony offender in New York State Prison, I finally make it out to the yard, which is clearly a misnomer. There's no grass, no trees. Just a big, mean-looking parking lot. I see a metal picking table, and I sit down and take a breath of fresh air. When someone runs up and tells me, you can't sit there, you gotta sit at the white table. I, I, I look around, I don't see a table that's white. <laughs> Prison subculture segregates itself according to race, religion, fill in the blank. But I have a big problem if I don't get up. But I have a bigger problem if I do. Hundreds of people around the yard are watching to see if I'm weak, making me a target. So then my biggest problem becomes deciding which problem do I want? And I've forgotten that I'm still holding my breath. Fortunately, 
an old timer intervened. He calls me a dumbass and the other guy a hothead. And he tells me, get your dumbass into school because you're never going to make it in a prison yard. <laughs> that relationship lasted all of two minutes, but it forced me to take measure of my life. I committed the crime. I receive a felony, which transforms me into state property, authorizing physical and psychological punishment and promises a destiny of post-release scrutiny. Doing time in a men's prison is scary. It's filled with violence, toxic masculinity, short fuses. Every step is a potential landmine. You never know if it will be your last. In this environment, most people put together relationships like they're playing a chess game, objectifying people as pawns or rooks, checkmating our mutual humanity. So in this environment, 2.3 million of us survive it by ignoring reentry until it becomes just one more crisis to get through. And that hurts because we want more for ourselves. So moving forward, one of the things that really works for us inside of prison when we think about like what's happening with ourselves is thinking about our environment and our situation. Because one of the things that happens is that sometimes we believe that after we spend tens of billions of dollars into mass incarceration, we have two expectations. One, extreme recidivism. And two, the unfortunate outcome of erasing humanity, surrounding it with trauma, and calling that justice. But shouldn't justice also include grace and accountability? I think we're confusing accountability with punishment. And punishment doesn't change behavior. The National Geographic Channel documents life inside prisons. You can witness acts of violence and drug abuse and judge for yourself. Remorse, redemption, relationships change people and how they reenter their communities. So as a person closest to the solution, instead of getting pissed off, I poured myself into believing in people, getting them to see something that prison had erased, their future. When reentry counselors and I give clients their first resume, they look at it stunned. For the first time, they can see their future and they feel hope that something can be salvaged from just surviving prison. So where do you see yourself in five years? Prison erases your future. But public-private partnerships have an impact by revisioning people as future community members. Let me tell you about Sean Pico. Sean came to prison shortly after he could legally drive a car, but in prison, he constructed relationships while bettering himself. He went from a GED to a master's degree. Only at Sing Sing, only at Sing Sing. After he was released, he was hired by the people who knew him while incarcerated to work at Hudson Link. His work ensures others have the educational opportunities he had. I see Sean in the people who show up 
the clients who show up with a reentry plan. When I ask them the $64,000 question, roughly the price to incarcerate someone for a year, <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years? The responses vary, but they are always informed by the public-private partnerships of higher education initiatives and volunteer groups. Teachers and professors transform people from disempowered state property into people who own their agency, practicing accountability for their poor decisions with opportunities to make good ones. This develops resilience, the powerful ability to transform a focus from just surviving prison into one that's focused on reentry readiness. The future doesn't happen later. The future happens now. Those clients leave like executive director Sean Pika as valued community members. People in prison no longer discounted or disconnected are asking how to heal the communities they once harmed. I was very, very lucky and very, very grateful to get transferred to Sing Sing where there is an abundance of public-private partnerships. Millions of others aren't so lucky, and they're stuck surviving mass incarceration, which deters relationships. So moving forward, I'll continue to be a part of the solution, helping support men and sometimes trans women develop good reentry plans. But we can't do it alone. We need your help to make sure that people stay home. You can do this with the minimum investment in five key areas. One, food. Hungry people make poor choices. <laughs> Two, clothes. Inappropriately dressed people aren't prepared for cold weather or opportunities like job interviews. Three, housing. No shelter no stability. Four, employment. Unemployed people become desperate people. And finally, five, therapeutic programming. People who don't manage their issues, their issues manage them. Your help helps people with no reentry plan begin to answer the question, where do you see yourself? in five years. My name is Michael Shane Hell. Thanks for listening. A special thanks to Michael Shane Hale for his willingness to share his experiences from within prison and his openness to educate everyone around him. If you are someone who would like to speak with Shane regarding his experiences or inquire about his public speaking, please send me an email at pennedpodcast at gmail.com. He has asked that I put anyone in touch with him who is open to correspondence. Another special thanks to Sean Gallagher for sharing the portion of Shane's audio from the TEDx Sing Sing event. Thank you. This episode was produced by Jason Sosoyev. And special thanks to Matthew Street for creating Penn's theme music. If you or someone you know has a story to share, please send me a note at pennedpodcast.com.